HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. This week on Meet and 3, we head into the second part of our mini-series on global trade, where we talk about all things sweet, from chocolate and sugarcane to the cultural festival that accompanied the growth of the date industry in the U.S. They're using this romance and fantasy to say dates are exotic and you should consume them. I like to think of the food that we eat as archaeological artifacts, in part because the history of humanity is in the stands in your produce market. It's not like other foods. We have very like personal feelings about chocolate. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I'd like to be so bold as to suggest you check out my other podcast. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We'd love it if you check it out wherever you get your podcasts. I'd also like to remind listeners that Heritage Radio is a nonprofit, and we need your help to stay on the air. If you enjoy this show and listen to the other great podcasts we produce every week, please find your way to heritageradionetwork.org donate to make your gift. Today's theme, we all love Mediterranean food. I know it's a fad and that's fine, but there's so much more to food in the Mediterranean than a fad diet would imply. Some ingredients are used across the region and beyond, like olive oil, which is used worldwide and is so well known. There are many other ingredients that aren't as well known. But Mediterranean food is more of a mindset. My guest today breaks it down like this. Eat with the seasons, use mostly whole foods, and above all, share. Susie Karachi runs the MediterraneanDish.com, where she's been sharing recipes since 2014 and now offers food products of the Mediterranean and has a cookbook coming next year. I'm Susie Karachi, and I do food for a living. I cook, I write about food, I take pictures of food, and I do videos of me cooking my food. <laughs> so that is, in a nutshell, what I do. Um, 
I own a company called The Mediterranean Dish, and it is an online-based company, basically um, a personal food blog dedicated to Mediterranean cooking and the Mediterranean lifestyle, plus um, an online shop that um, carries Mediterranean ingredients. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you grew up on the Mediterranean uh, in Egypt. Mm -hmm. So you grew up in Port, Port Said in the southeast corner of the Mediterranean Sea, right next to the Suez Canal. Um, tell me about what that was like growing up both, you know, in a in a port city. I mean, I've I've never really spent any time on the Mediterranean, so I don't have a sense of it kind of as a body of water. Like, I know the Atlantic Ocean pretty well. I know the Pacific Ocean pretty well. But I don't know anything about the Mediterranean. Can you tell me about it? Well, you, you're, you're going to need to go in person, man. But... <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> it's definitely so on my list once coronavirus is over. When we're allowed to travel, we might have to take a trip together. But, um, uh, I yeah, so I grew up in Port Said, and it's, uh, it's one of uh, Egypt's major cities, mainly because it's a port and um, historically has been uh, the main entrance to the Suez Canal. And so that that makes it extra interesting, aside from being a Mediterranean cosmopolitan city. Um, so I, I lived in Port Said uh, 17 years of my life, the first 17 years, and um, it was glorious. So uh, the way to describe it best, um, it is very sunny, it is very warm, and the people are amazing. Um, I would probably say the reason I got interested in food or sharing about Mediterranean food in particular is because I grew up there. It was really kind of like a melting pot of all the Mediterranean flavors in one place, just because it was one of these things where, you know, it was just a little walk for me and my family to go over to the canal and see like big ships of people from like Italy, Turkey, Greece, all over the Mediterranean and beyond, just kind of like, you know, um, coming to Port Said to hang out for a couple of days or whatever. And so we had all sorts of influences and um, it was not uncommon to hear people speaking several different languages like Italian, French, or whatever, um, just as you're taking your walk. <laughs> and so that was pretty fun for me. I got to meet so many people um, of different cultures. And it was really not odd to eat on a given day, like pizza at Pizza Pino, which is just overseeing the Suez Canal and obviously an Italian, <laughs> Italian flair. And then, you know, um, go for lunch somewhere else where they sell you know, falafel. Um, so that was kind of like I grew up in a place where all of the Mediterranean kind of came together um, in, in flavor, in like culture, the people are loud, are fun, uh, all of that. But then also just think about this, Port Said or Egypt in general is also a North African um, country and it's also a Middle Eastern country. And so all of the flavors <laughs> from all of these places are very well a part of what I grew up with. 
So, yeah, so we spent a good bit of time on the beach, right on the Mediterranean. Um, I, I can go on. So yeah. just tell me where, yeah, where yeah, you yeah. want me to so, take this. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think it's really cool to, to think about that as such a melting pot. You know, I, I think when we think of Mediterranean food or when people talk about, like, the Mediterranean diet, which I know you cover quite a bit on your site and has become kind of, you know, very, very hip and, and, and sort of faddish lately, um, you know, I feel like, uh, or when I think of Mediterranean food, having grown up here in the United States, you know, my mind always goes to like Greece or Southern Italy, um, you know, thinking about the flavors of those places and much less about the flavors of the Middle East. But it makes perfect sense, of course, because all of these things are on the Mediterranean. You have North Africa, you have the Middle East, and then you have sort of the Northern side. Um, and you have things like you know, and then you have Turkey. I mean, all, all of those things coming together and really being part of the Mediterranean food way um, of eating. So I would love to talk about the about the site. So you started it in 2014. Um, when you started it, was your plan always to end up as this kind of uh, encyclopedic look at Mediterranean food and also selling your own products and stuff? Or was it just kind of a hobby? Yeah, so uh, my husband and I often joke that I'm kind of like this accidental CEO. <laughs> I did not, I did not think I needed to be a CEO. I did not think I was going to have my own company. But in 2014, we were kind of in transition as a family, and um, we had um, my husband kind of just started moving because of his career, and so we just follow suit and uh, ended up from like Michigan, which is where I went to school. That's how I ended up in the States to begin with. We moved from Michigan to Iowa. And at that point in time, I quit what I was doing, which I was in love with fundraising and PR um, and kind of just found myself like uh, what to do now, you know? Um, <laughs> and so it was one of those times where you know, as fate would have it, my husband just walked in the door one day and he said, listen, you love to cook and you love to to talk and you love to write. And we've all, I've often hosted people over and kind of just cooked the foods I grew up with. And he's like, why don't you start something on the internet and kind of share, share those recipes, share that love with other people. And in the meantime, I was thinking that would be a good way to you know, document my heritage um, for my my two daughters who were born in Michigan, who really are American. And um, uh, although they've traveled, they've seen uh, things, you know, I think food is such a good way to uh, instill uh, or share your culture with the people around you and especially your, your own children. And so, I started the site, the Mediterranean dishes. It literally took us one hour sitting in um, our office. <laughs> and we were like, oh, so what should we, if, if we were to start this thing called a food blog, yeah. and at the time it was such a new thing, and yeah. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> Who's going to read my stuff? <laughs> and so, and, and I just, I really kind of started it more as a love letter for my daughters. Right. Uh, and thought, well, if anybody jumps on there and wants to cook my food, go for it, you know? So. I love that. It's like, uh, it's like a digital 
it, it was like your digital way of passing on recipes. Like I have all these like hand scribbled note cards from my grandmother and from my mom. And I have notes written on the backs of like pieces of paper. I just have this whole like book, um, which is, which is really cool, but you know, it's not really searchable. I like remember, I, you know, when I'm looking for a recipe, I remember, oh yeah, that cookie recipe was on a blue piece of paper that had this on the front. And then I've got to like page through all these things. This is super cool because, you know, if, if your daughter wants, oh, I wanted that feta recipe, they can just look right. it up. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm like, well, you know, that's fine. Let's just do it. So we sat there and searched for what should we call this site. And, and it was obvious it had to do with Mediterranean food because both of us, my husband's family is actually originally from Jordan. Uh, and and his mom is part Palestinian, uh, although he's a Michigan boy himself. But um, so so we share we share that, and and I learned the term from his mom. Um, she she does a lot of Levant style cooking. Palestine, of course, is you know um, in her heritage as well. So I was like, okay, well let's do Mediterranean, and and like within an hour we did the Mediterranean dish dot com. Here it was. 20 bucks later, I yeah. had a site. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know, that's great. If, you know, if you were to buy a photo album of, or a box to put your recipes in, you'd probably spend that much. Exactly. So, yeah, so it was fine. And, and it, it started really more as a hobby. And it wasn't until in 2016 that at that point, I knew I wasn't going to go back full time to work. And I had been getting, I recall just the fall of 2016 in particular, something had happened and, and I'm at this point getting a lot of traffic, um, a lot more than somebody who started something as a hobby would expect, right? So I was like, oh, great, I am, I am, people are cooking my food, that's awesome. But I started getting like emails and, and thank you notes and this has changed my life kind of messages. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, I really just share my food the way we eat. Um, and so many people would send me a message saying, listen, I, my doctor prescribed the Mediterranean diet and everything that I found online was more, um, you know, technical or like something from a nutritionist or a dietitian or a doctor. I just wanted some home cooking that, that I can do that helps me follow this way of eating. And, and that's why they stumbled upon my site. So it was the fall of 2016 that I thought, you know what, it is worth, it is worth doing this full time if it is helping somebody out there. So it just became, yeah, it became a full-time job at that point. And I, again, did not expect it to be this leading site for Mediterranean cooking necessarily, but I did at that point, something shifted in my head and it became more of a mission that I was going to spend more time making something of this site so that it's more resourceful, more helpful, um, really a one-stop place for somebody who wanted to cook and eat the Mediterranean way, didn't want something fussy that would, uh, that would um, cause them to, to change their lifestyle dramatically. They just want to eat well. And so that was my mission at the point at that point. Um, and here we are four years later, uh, we're still going. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. 
So you mentioned that people, you know, get in touch with you and say, oh, my God, you know, this changed my life. That actually was one of my one of the questions that I wrote down to ask, because, you know, having been in in food and teaching people how to cook um, for many years, one of the things that I always think a lot about is there are so many recipes out there in the world and there are only so many hours in the day and in the kitchen. And even for people like you who probably spend way more time in the kitchen than you know, you're at like, you're at like the top of the list, right? You know, and, and, but there's still only so many hours and there's way more recipes and way more ingredients than anyone can ever master. And so what it's really about is people, what I find, what I think of the way I like to think about it is that people at home are developing their personal food canon, right? And they collect recipes that are either things they like to eat or have personal meaning or whatever that is. And that those are the recipes that make up the things they cook. And that's what I, you know, I think about the recipes my mom used to cook. And some of some of those have been incorporated into my personal food canon. Some of them aren't. Things that come from my wife's family, things that we've learned from other people. And so I'm wondering about those sort of life-changing dishes. Are there specific dishes that come to mind that people report to you, like this is a dish I now cook all the time from the, from the, the recipes on your site? <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, there are quite a few. So there's hundreds of recipes on the site at this point in yeah. time, and it's it's <laughs> and pretty I, vast. <laughs> I've been looking. I, at it. I am just thinking, you know, uh, I think a couple of things. So you kind of touched on this a little bit too. So there are the way that the recipes are on the Mediterranean dish. It's a couple of different categories. Uh, it is the recipes I grew up with that have like you said, that big meaning uh, that I, I just have to have and I, I have to share with people uh, about them just because of, of what they mean to me. Uh, and those recipes will include things like falafels and shawarma and uh, those things I grew up with that I, you know, the street food of the Middle East and the Mediterranean. Um, and then there are recipes that my mom cooked, as you said, and, and she has more, oh, I can't describe her style so well because Egyptian food is like everything and at the same time. So you could have an, an Italian meal one night, you know, uh, chicken piccata, which we didn't call piccata at all, but <laughs> it's the same thing, it's the same exact thing. Um, so. I would share those recipes and people, for example, the falafel recipe on our site is, is super popular and people will come to that often because it also includes every single step you need to know about how to make falafel because it's not easy and um, it is not something I would recommend making from a box, which they sell falafel boxes now, <laughs> falafel mixes out there. And so people are, if they're looking for the authentic, real deal taste, they will go to those and they will be surprised that they can make them at home. So I get a lot of those, uh, a lot of those comments about how they never thought they can make falafel at home. Um, and they can. And then there are the recipes that are my everyday recipes because I am a busy mom who lives in Atlanta, Georgia, who has two kids who have to eat. And so I have a lot of recipes that are you know, your quick skillet chicken and your, um, you know, sheet pan baked eggs and veggies and things that take 20 minutes or less. Uh, and I get a lot, a lot of people saying that these are their go-to just because of how convenient they are. Uh, so I, I, it's a mix between the, you know, between the, those authentic Middle Eastern recipes 
and then those everyday quick recipes that have a ton of Mediterranean flavor, by the way. So nothing on the site yep. is is not Mediterranean. Right. No, of course. <laughs> so, and and yeah. one of the things I love looking at the recipes, I mean, so, you know, I, I, I often think about food in terms of, I mean, obviously there's tons of food that I love, but not all the food that I love makes me feel good. So like, you know, I mean, I love going out for like a, you know, a dinner at like a steakhouse, like that's really fun, but like eating steak and creamed spinach and potatoes and having a couple of martinis. I mean, like it's really fun and the food is delicious, but I don't feel good afterwards, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, I hear you. But then there are dishes like, you know, falafel or hummus or avilumono soup, things like that, that I think of and I'm like, oh man, I want to eat that and it sounds delicious and I know I'm going to feel good after I eat it. Um, and and the thing that I that I love about a lot of the recipes on your site is that a lot of them are not super complicated. I mean, yes, making falafel at home is probably not something I'm going to do every week because that one's a little more complicated. But a lot of the recipes are really quick. I was just looking at your baked feta recipe, and I have a I have a, a package of feta in the fridge, and I thought, oh man, I'm going to make that tonight because it's super easy, and I can put that on the table. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I could put that on the table with some fresh bread. Uh, you know, I don't have any pita, but I do have a fresh loaf of bread. And that can be a big component of dinner. And it's going to be really fast. And it's going to be delicious. And I know I'm going to feel good after I eat it. For sure. And I think that um, one of the things I hear often, and I'm not sure that I, you know, I don't know how to say this, but for example, we have uh, eating the Mediterranean way, we rely quite a bit on veggies. That's a big portion of what we eat. Uh, and I hear often from people like they don't know how to deal with a vegetable. You know, like how can you make a meal, an entire meal out of veggies? That is just crazy. And then they begin making some of these meals. Like I have this Greek-style braised eggplant and chickpeas, and it makes a huge big pot that can feed a big family or you can eat it for lunch like for the next several days and they're amazed at how filling and tasty it can be. I feel like people have an idea about veggies as they're just like an afterthought and they're mostly steamed or, you know, boiled or something unexciting. But um, I think one of the things that surprised me early on is how many people would would send me a message about they never thought green beans could taste as good or you know I never thought about roasting broccoli they would say you know that kind of yeah I mean I I think you know and and that I think comes from a very long history of like American food ways of vegetables being always 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 a side dish um and so you know I and I and I think that is so it's still so ingrained that I think we have, you know, the, there's a long way to go before people, you know, think of broccoli as a, you know, as a centerpiece, <laughs> so to speak. For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I love on your site your your guiding Mediterranean values um, of eating with the seasons, use mostly whole foods, and above all, share, which is the part that I'm missing the most. I mean, I, you know, I share food with my family every day, but I haven't been able to have friends over for, you know, for dinner in, you know, in a year, basically. So yeah, that's the part I can't wait to get back to the most is the sharing. It's rough. It's rough. (laughs) I can't wait either. 
This episode is brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential hotel, is located on a quiet, tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 35 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on an eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant, or enjoy a cocktail served on the beautiful patio, which has ample room for social distancing. Travelers from around the world find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. So then let's talk a little bit about the, the product side of your site. Um, so, you know, at, at some point, obviously, you expanded into products and some of them uh, are even under your own branding. And so I would love to talk a little bit about how you source those products. Um, and then some of the products are not. Some of them, obviously, you're supporting, you know, other uh, other makers. We, um, we are, yes. Um so this was, I believe, somewhere around 2018 that at that point, uh, again, people were prompting me to, to look into this because they would email me like, hey, I'm really frustrated. I've tried to find good olive oil. Uh, I don't know where to find za'atar. Um, and I would love to be able to, to make this recipe, but I, I can't find this site. And so it just Again, it came out of their prompting to check into this, like, oh, well, if people can't find such and such product or if they're not happy with what they're finding, maybe we can be of help to them. So we launched the shop really as a beta situation, honestly, like we were just going to see if we could be helpful. And so we sourced, uh, we were able to, and this is a very happy accident again, uh, the olive oils that carry our name uh, come from Greece, from two family-owned gro- groves. And, and the way that that had happened, I got a message from um, one of the people. Um, our, our supplier, who is actually here in the U.S., had been following me for a long time. And she says, oh, hey, my husband's family are Greek. They've been in the olive oil business for a long time. Uh, would you like to sample, you know, some of their uh, stuff? And at that point, it, it was it was such an odd thing because we were starting to to try and sample as many olive oils as we can. And I said, sure, we we love to we'd love to taste it. So we did, and we fell in love, and we fell in love with the idea that these came directly from Greece, from very specific origins from a very specific uh, olive. They were hand-picked, cold-pressed, all the good stuff. And we could trace them back to the one estate. And so I said to, I said to her, hey, uh, so what do you think about, do you think you can supply us some to sell? And so she said, yes, I have a shop. And, uh, you know, we, have, we carry some of their stuff and whatnot. And so it started that way, and she, we started with a very small inventory, and um, we have not been able to keep it on the shelf since. And so that was 2018 now. We've been working with her, and we've expanded. Um, like, we, we've, we've been ordering now 
big amounts of it that come for us specifically and um they get bottled here in the u.s and it's it's just a happy a really happy um story when i think about how it started and how it's going now um, yeah i mean it, it's so great and and you know being able to support various food producers is really a great it's a really great way to provide both a good quality product right because one of the problems and there's i mean olive oil as as a as a prime example is one where you know stuff gets cross-shipped and repackaged and at, you know in in the american market we don't know right and you could be getting something that's not extra virgin and may not even be olive oil because who knows it came in a package and you bought it on the shelf and people aren't you know people don't know yeah, so we've been so blessed, honestly, with that relationship, and it's opened our eyes so much to what it means to put something on the table that actually tastes good, of good quality, comes from good people, hardworking people. Uh, just really, really a, a neat, a neat partnership there. And so, just recently, we we found another um, supplier for Spanish and Italian. Uh, oils and so we're exploring that a little bit similarly with the spices we kind of just went about sampling all sorts of spices um, from different suppliers now our suppliers in the U.S. they're able to source from different parts of the world um, and we just again fell in love with them they allowed us to uh, to do a small batch kind of situation again to start with uh, packaging to order so that we didn't keep it on our shelf too long. When you go to the grocery store, right, you don't know how long that spice has been sitting on that shelf, right? Um, so that's how that went as well. And again, we've during the pandemic, uh, we ran out of everything pretty quickly. <laughs> and, uh, and because, like, things weren't up and running – we had to wait quite a bit to kind of until everybody was able to go back to work and begin to package our spices once more. And so uh, the pandemic has really kind of opened our eyes to like before beforehand, you know, food would show up on the table and maybe we didn't think about it so hard. But now, right now we think about it. We Because when you went to the store, you didn't find everything you were looking for like things were running out and we didn't have that before you know right so, you yeah. get anything anytime right right yeah. and i noticed that you sell uh sum tahini i had shelby Seidelman on this we show do. to talk about yes. Zoom, uh and what a, i mean what a what a Ooh, great story yes. that that company has a really really great story yes as well. again another ingredient that people really don't know if they're eating a good thing or does it, I mean, is it supposed to taste this weird? Right, right, <laughs> they right. have no clue, right? And so Shum was another partnership that my husband just got talking to them. I had used it before. I'm like, this is good stuff. We could discern that because we both grew up with tahini as part of our, um, we, we did everything with tahini, you know, like back in Egypt, one of my snacks, and this is going to sound weird, growing up, <laughs> uh, a snack we often had was tahini mixed with honey. And then you just put it on a warm piece of pita bread. And that's that. That doesn't sound you weird know? to me. That sounds delicious. Yeah. And so it needed to be good tahini 
because there's nothing else going on here. You're, you're going to taste it. <laughs> and so we, uh, we have discerning palates. And, and when, when I started working uh, with Shane quite a bit for, for the blog, we knew that that's another item that people struggle finding. And they're not so sure, is it supposed to taste this way? Is it supposed to be this thick? Um, uh, how do you use it? All that. So, we, yeah, we've been working with some, I believe, almost a couple years now um, that we've carried their, um, their tahini. And yeah, I think tahini is a wonderful ingredient and definitely has become a staple in the last 10 years in my, in my home kitchen. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned how, like, the Mediterranean diet has become this faddish like new thing and it, it just makes me laugh because all these ingredients right tahini zatar um sumac all of these other things ras and hanout these aren't trendy items these are ancient <laughs> right. ancient yeah. items you know what I mean of course <laughs> yeah so but it's it's really exciting though to see people getting into it and and using it yeah do you have any tips for people when they are shopping for items so you know i mean obviously they can go to uh, shop.themediterraneandish.com but right now let's say i you know was on your site and i thought oh i want to buy some lentils well it looks like your red lentils you're out of currently oh no look it's they are in they are in stock but i clicked on something they were out of so let's say you were out of stock on something Something like lentils or like the spices, um, do you have any tips for people if they're going to a store, you know, a local store um, that they can? Yeah, so a couple of things on that. Um, you can find some of these spices and obviously the lentils are not that hard to find nowadays. They used to be, but now you can go to some of those bigger uh, health foods and you'll find them even in bulk uh and so when it comes to like something like lentils or dry beans in general that kind of thing i usually would say two things if you're buying it packaged there shouldn't be anything else it's just lentils right so like if you're looking on the back of the package there shouldn't be a whole lot else at all right so that's one thing um but if you're if you're buying it at the store, I would go to a store where you know that they're known for this and that people are buying it often. Because you don't want to go to a store where barely anybody will shop there for lentils, right? So I think that would be, and similarly with the spices. There are a couple of stores I know if I go to, I know that their inventory uh, is not sitting on the shelf too long because they are known to carry these things and people go to them for that. Um, so that's probably the biggest tip when it comes to something. These don't go bad, really. Lentils and spices have a very long shelf life. So I'm not saying it has to be packaged last week or anything, but definitely don't want to go someplace where you know that that shop is not known for. Right. Uh, these ingredients. Right. Unlike, yeah. unlike olive oil, which I feel like when I was growing up, 
we used a lot of olive oil, but we always had, there was like, I remember there being like a special bottle of olive oil that I think my mother was given by someone that we only used a little bit and it sat there for a really long time. And what I came to learn many years later is that we should have used that one first and we should have used all of it really fast because olive oil, in fact, does have, especially really good olive oil, a very short shelf life. And you should enjoy it as much as you possibly can while you have it. You shouldn't save it because you think that it's some fancy ingredient <laughs> that you yeah, should and hold it should, on to. It should be stored in a dark, cool place and that kind of thing. If you're yep. not going to, we, we run out of olive oil very quickly here at my house it's like we drink it people are still, people are so surprised at how much olive oil i use and and um, it's good for you um and again so if you're gonna buy olive oil at the store read the label so so well because you want to know what kind of olive you want to know if this is a blend or is it one olive is it coming from several olives <laughs> several groves where where is it coming from because it, it you know you might pick up a bottle and it says italian olive oil but then in fact you look at the back and it's like oh some of it is italian but some of it is not and some of it is olive oil but some of it is grapeseed oil so you really want to be able to to see those bullet points of like is this you know hand-picked cold pressed, uh, you know, extra virgin, what are the, you know, polyphenol levels and whatnot. Those are not usually necessarily on the, on the label, but you could do some search online, that kind of thing. So at least just know where it's coming from and know that it's a blend you will like, yeah. you or know, maybe it is more than one olive, which is fine, Sure. but you know, yeah. Okay. Are there any ingredients that were available when you were growing up in Port Said that you wish were more readily available in the United States? Or at this point, are most things available online one way or another? I would say most things are available. We're fortunate because here in Atlanta, we get, you know, produce is available pretty well here. Um, but I will tell you, like, growing up in Port Said, it wasn't like we went to a supermarket to buy things we went to the market like you know open air market people are sitting on the on the ground selling their whatever they had you know from the farmer to a farmer's market and that was it that was it every day and it was like if we were going to have potatoes we're having them because they're actually available at the market on that day you know and so if if mom was to make dinner and dad and I went to the market, we're just going to come back with something and she's going to have to make it, whatever it is. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like you went to the supermarket and you found everything in the frozen section and you already had planned on making that. That was not the case. It is now. I think that they have all of that now, but I think people don't realize how fortunate we, ha we are that we can find really quality veggies in the freezer aisle that have been you know preserved really well and can be used in multiple ways yeah I that think was about not that. the case for me you know? i think about that a lot with fruit um especially like the fact that you know like 
you know, right now is not a very good season for things like, say, strawberries. But even though we can get them in the supermarkets, that's a different whole different discussion about whether or not we should even be bothering with that. Right, <laughs> right. But you can get really great frozen berries often that were, you know, were picked when they were fresh in a place at the right season when they're supposed to be growing there and when they're really good quality and they're well preserved because freezing happens to be a good preservation method for them. And I think a lot about that, you know, and sort of the, the idea that, you know, a hundred years ago, people only had blueberries in the summer. That was it. Right. <laughs> there were no other options. That I was mean, it. You know, unless you made them into jam or some other kind of preserve. But now we can pull them out of the freezer and do it, you know, whatever we would want to do with them. Yeah, you can have yourself a nice shake any day with those uh, frozen. So I, one of the things I learned growing up, well, two things. First of all, never wrinkle your nose at any kind of food whatsoever, whatsoever, because um, food it w was very precious where I grew up, it, not everybody could afford it. Uh, and so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, we're having beans, we're going to have beans. We're going to have beans for a long time if we have to. You know what I mean? Um, and, and, and then really just celebrating. It's not so much about the food on the table, but more about the people around it. And that's the sharing part about the Mediterranean diet that, uh, will always be with me. I think that I don't care if we're sharing a bowl of hummus or we're sharing a big leg of lamb. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, so yeah. I think, that, I think that's really great. So I wanted to hear a little bit about the cookbook. So now, right, you have a cookbook that's coming out next year. Um, from the website. And so I want to hear a little bit about, about that as a project, because the website from our conversation started out as kind of this repository of recipes um, and then grew into something sort of bigger than that and became this huge project. And so now you're turning that into a cookbook. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize we were going, we were going there, but we're still there. <laughs> Here we are. Um, well, so, yeah, I, um, again, this is one more thing that came from people who have been following me. I mean, I daily now get an email about when I'm going to come out with an actual printed book that I can keep in my kitchen and cook from. And so I honestly, that was not something I had planned on for a long time. It just kind of the message came to me over and over and over that it was time to do something else, something more, and to build on this momentum we started and to give people what they need. Um, if they need something tangible to hold onto rather than a website, let's do that. So that's really how it started about a year ago. I kind of said, okay, I guess I'm ready. <laughs> so I went for it and I've been working on some of those recipes, but no, honestly, we have not gone public with the idea that I am writing a cookbook. You are the first one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I hope, I hope that's you know, okay. I can, I can edit it out if it's not okay to talk about. I, I don't think it's a big deal, but uh, we have at least a year to go. So I don't know. Uh, but it's, it's really a rewarding process to, to uh, think about like producing recipes that are going to be in this tangible, you know, 
assembled in this tangible book that's going to sit on somebody's coffee table. It's, uh, I don't take it lightly at all. Um, and there have been plenty of amazing Mediterranean books out there. So um, that's a challenge because you want to offer something that um, will be useful to people. And, um, you know, like you said, there are plenty of recipes out there and there's only so many hours in the day, you know? Yeah, so I, that was another question I had for you, which is, um, you know, how, what is, what is your like weekly recipe output look like? Are you cooking in the kitchen every day? I mean, your, your site has also has a very high production value. So, you know, you have really beautiful photo photographs that clearly, you know, you put a lot of time and effort into getting those ready and that's not insignificant either in terms of producing the recipes and putting them online. Yeah. Off the record, I'm dying. <laughs> 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 okay now 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 the more appropriate answer yeah. um so so the process now is it's it's interesting because it's still a very small team of people behind the mediterranean dish there's me my husband now joined me full-time as president of the company because i absolutely do not want anything to do with the business side of things uh so that has been a big relief to me um, and he also manages all the technical. Running the website can be super technical, uh, and that's not my forte either. So I focus, thankfully, because I have his help, I'm able to focus on producing the recipes, taking the photos, standing in front of the camera. So I'm, I am all food all the time. Um, as far as how many recipes a week, on the blog, you'll see about three recipes per week. Uh, behind the scenes, there's probably 10, six to 10 a week uh, that I am working on, either maybe fussing with, developing them. Um, and you probably know this from your own experience, so not every recipe that you put together is going to be a huge hit. Right, exactly. <laughs> and my family is very good at telling me that. <laughs> so, <laughs> And so when something is not quite a hit, it doesn't make it to the site and obviously will not make it to the book. So there's a ton of creative energy that goes into putting flavors together, but it's also the part that I love the most about my job. So, you know, put me in the kitchen and say, here's two cans of beans, make something with them. I totally will. I just absolutely love the challenge of, of uh, playing with flavors. Um, so yeah, somewhere between six and 10 recipes. 10 would be on the very, very high and that rarely happens. But. So out of the recipes that you have put on the site so far in the last, I don't know, three weeks or month or so of 2021, do you have a personal favorite that like the creating of it was super fun and the final product turned out you know, in the, I mean, obviously you're proud of everything that you put on the site, but there, you must, you must have some favorites. Uh, for just, just this year, like the past four weeks so far or three weeks. Um, well, there are a couple of recipes. One that really surprised me, which is, you're going to laugh, but it's just the roasted broccoli recipe. It, it, it's a one ingredient <laughs> recipe, <laughs> basically. Well, and I've jazzed it up a little bit. So there's more on the broccoli now. There's like feta cheese and a little bit of 
a dash of Aleppo pepper. But um, I, I filmed this recipe. I filmed it on video before the year began. And when I posted it, it like went crazy. And I'm like, what did people not know that you could roast broccoli? <laughs> and it wasn't even that. It was just like, hey, here's a new, here's a thing about broccoli. I don't like it steamed. I can't have it steamed. So I'm like, if I'm going to have broccoli, it's going to be like jazzed up with olive oil, roasted until you have some crispy bits on top and then you know hit it up with some lemon juice and it went crazy um i was also going to mention i noticed the recipe below the broccoli recipe the mediterranean style fish soup that one really called out to me yeah yeah that well that was my second example of another maybe a little bit of a my Port Saidi upbringing kind of came through in that recipe because we had a lot of fish and seafood and um, particularly like fish soup was a thing that we ate a lot. Um, so yeah, that's another really good one that people were surprised by, but absolutely loved. Yeah, I live um, in Rhode Island now, so we have a lot of access to fish and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that one this week for sure. Oh, I can't wait to hear what you think. It, it does have a little bit of a different flavor profile, more like Middle Eastern, Eastern Mediterranean, you know, with like the cumin, coriander, a little bit of Aleppo. It's really good. Awesome. It sounds I great. I recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Well, Susie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can follow along with Susie at themediterraneandish.com and follow her on Instagram at themediterraneandish. You can find Feast Your Ears, as well as lots of other great shows, at heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can find me on email, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com, and you can follow me on Instagram, at thefoodballer. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.